this year begins six lines from the top of Daf Ayin Ches. Before we begin the actual Gemara, we glance at the side where we have a topic heading, a no say, where we read, Eich Moinim Lemitzri Achei Muter Lekahol. In our previous year, we made numerous references to the issue of a third generation Egyptian convert, a Mitzri that converts to Judaism. The Torah says that the Mitzri people cannot marry uh, people of pure Jewish descent until their third generation. Namely, a uh, Mitzri decides to convert. He is called a Mitzri Rishon. His child is called a Mitzri Shani. And if the Mitzri Shani child, the child of the Mitzri Shani, is called a Mitzri Shlishi. And that Mitzri Shlishi is allowed to marry a person of pure Jewish descent. We are going to be focusing on a posuk from Dvorim Perikhofikimol, posuk Tes, regarding uh, the Mitzri. And on the side, we have this quoted Bonim Asher Ivoldu Lohem, Dor Shlishi Yavoi Lohem Bekal Hashem. The children that are born from the Mitzrim. The third generation are enabled to come in married, uh, rank and file Jewish people. The Gemara will also make reference to a pasuk dealing uh, that's found in Tvarim Perik Chav Gimel pasuk Gimel dealing with a mamzer, the illegitimate child, the child uh, which results from the union of uh, of two forbidden people that would be punishable by kores. Uh, that's a fairly general uh, rule that applies to Mamzerim. The Pesach reads, and we have this on the side as well, it says, Lo yovo Mamzer Bekal Hashem, Gam Dor Asiri Lo Yovoi Loi Bekal Hashem. In the case of the Mamzer, the Torah makes reference to even a tenth generation of Mamzerim cannot enter the Jewish people. Mamzerim basically can marry one Mamzer can marry another Mamzeris there are some other rules that apply that the Gemara will feature as the Sugis continue we continue now in the Gemara six lines from the top Tonu Rabbonon Im Nemar Bonim Loma Nemar Doros in Posuk Tes it mentions Bonim Asheri Vodulahem so once you mention Bonim that's a reference to the uh, children that are born forth from them. So why does the Torah make reference to generations? And if it mentions generations, why does the Pesach mention children? Had the Pesach read without mentioning generations, I would have thought something completely different. Ben Rishon Vesheni Osir Shlishi Mutter. I would have thought that a, an Egyptian that converts to Judaism that has three children, the third child is Mutter to marry a person of Jewish descent. Well, that's not true. And how do I know that? that. Therefore, the Pesach says Doros that it's a function of generations. But and and the as far as the Egyptian who converts. All of his children, no matter, no matter how many children he has, they are only second generation Mitzrim. And they are not allowed to marry people of pure Jewish descent. V'im Nemar Doros, V'lo Nemar Bonim, had the Torah focused on generations and not mentioned Bonim, 
I would have thought that the Torah which restricts the marriage of Egyptian converts is a reference to the first generation and the second generation of those that were uh, present at the time that the Torah was given. In other words, a, 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 a historical piece of information. Therefore, the Torah adds the word bonim to indicate that it's not something that was one time in history, the first generation uh, and second generation of Jews that stood at Har Sinai that, that received the Torah, and that's where the prohibition ended. But rather, it's for future generations as well. Lohem. The Pesach said, lo, it said, Lohem Mehem Menei. That means you will count from them, from the one that converts. Rashi, you can see, uh, explains Mehem Menei. Rashi, you'll find a few lines down from here. Who Rishon, the convert himself is called first generation, Beno Shani, his son is the second, and Uben Beno Mutter, his grandson is Mutter. That, that is the generation that can marry the Jew of regular Jewish descent. Lohem Haloch Achar Psulan. The Pasuk said, uh, Again, you see the word lohem, dor shlishi. It said bonim ashi vodu lohem, dor shlishi avol lohem. The word lohem, in fact, appeared twice in the pasuk. So the second lohem is darshind haloch achar psulon. What does that mean? So Rashi explains lohem haloch psulon tre lohem ksivi. Two lohems are written in the pasuk. Umashma haloch achar rehem. Deim nitmu b'ksherim kigon mitzri shenasi yisraelis. If you had a, a, a mixture of kosher with unkosher, namely a Mitzri married Yisraelis, Yisrael Shinosa Mitzris, or a regular Jew married a, a first generation convert a Jewish a Mitzri woman, that even though you have a mixed couple and one side of the couple is actually regu- uh, regular Jew, that does not matter. You follow the Puzzle, the one that's disqualified sets the tone. We continue now in the Gemara. You'll see a new marking triangles, and on the side under the Mivne heading, the triangles featured, highlighting the word the Itzterich. Birur lama yesh sarchlichtoiv milim sheinim uma hayisi chayshiv ilule nichtav. Here the Gemara will be focusing on uh, words that we see in the Pesach and what I would have thought had those words not been written. The Gemara. You have to have both expressions written. Lohem, which we saw before meant you count from them, from the convert himself. That's called generation one. And you also need the expression Asher Yivoldu. Had the Posik left out the word Lahem and simply written uh, So I would have thought uh, Had the Torah written just Asher Yivoldu I would have thought that you start your counting from the convert's children that would be adding another generation till 
the Mitzri would be allowed to marry into the Jewish fold. Kosav Rachmono Lahem. Therefore, the Torah wrote Lahem, which means you count from the convert himself. You count your three generations from the convert himself. The Kosav Rachmono Lahem, Have Amino, Mitzris Meuberes, Shinis Gairo, He Uvno Chad. I would have thought that a uh, an Egyptian woman that's pregnant that converted she converted while pregnant that she and her child are considered first generation thereby by writing that indicates that the mother is first generation and the offspring is going to be counted as the second generation and as Rashi adds that to tell me that any birth from her conversion onwards is considered an, an additional generation continuing by the Mitzri you see the word Lohem we saw and it taught us that you follow the one that's puzzle and in the case of the Mamzer the Pasuk said Lo yovo lo Hashem, the word lo there also teaches me you follow the puzzle. That would mean that if a mamzer marries a, a regular Jew, the child is nevertheless goes fo- follows the disqualified one, follows the mamzer, and the child is also considered a mamzer. So this concept is taught in both cases, both by the Mitzri and by the mamzer. Why could I not have learned one from the other? Had the Torah written the uh, idea that you follow the one that's puzzle in a mixed type marriage, you follow the one of, uh, of lesser qualification or the more disqualified individual, if that would have been written only in the context of the Mitzri, because the child comes from a tipa, a drop, we'll call it the the seed, the uh, what that which the parent contributes, like for example, the man's semen. That's the the tipa. It, it, it comes from a mitzri, a non-Jew uh, tipa drop that produced him. mamzer de tipa The mamzer, each parent in and of themselves are kosher Jews. Their, their union was prohibited, but they were kosher Jews, so the tipah, the drop that produced the mamzer, the, uh, uh, each drop was kosher, comes from a kosher source. So, Amolo, I would have thought that in a case of a mamzer marrying someone uh, on a higher level than him, then you would not necessarily follow the mamzer as determining who, what the child is. The Ikosav Rachmona Gabi Mamzer had the Torah written this concept that you follow the Mamzer, follow the lower one of the two in order to determine the child. The Mamzer has a more extreme problem, more severe problem than the Mitzri in that he can never come into the Jewish fold. Avol Hocha, in the case of the Edomi and the Mitzri, they have a possibility, their third generation is looked at to marry a standard Jewish individual. So there it's not as severe. So I would have thought that in a mixed couple of Mitzri marrying a Bas Yisrael, you, the, the child doesn't necessarily follow the Mitzri. Therefore it has to be taught there as well. Before we continue in the Gemara, we glance at the side, we have a no say Mivneh heading, the 
uh, Gemara will feature a double underline and Roman numerals 1 and 2. You'll see the number 2 further down. This under, double underline highlights the names Rabba Babarchana and Ravdimi. These are Shnei Deois Yochanan Bedin Benom Shel Mitzri Sheni Shenosa Mitzris Rishona. There'll be an argument concerning a case of how do you determine, how do you establish the status or the identity of the child of a couple where you had a second generation man, Mitzri, uh, marrying a first generation convert, Mitzris woman. Another marking that we'll see is a bow tie that you'll h- highlight their conclusion. Uh, Benah will be a Shlishi or the Benah will be a Shani. Means the, the child of that union will be either a considered a third generation or a second generation. That's going to be the point of controversy. Eventually diamonds will appear. Those will be Kushos al Maskonas Rabah, the Omar Bosser Diday Azlinon. According to Rabah, the father will be the uh, determining factor. And uh, we're going to be questioning that, where he says you follow the father and not the mother. So let's now see how the Gomorrah unfolds. Uh, these points uh, being brought into focus. We pointed out already, but do note that both Rabo Barbarchan and later Rabdimi are both quoting Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabo says, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Mitzri Shani Shenosa Mitzri Second generation Egyptian man marries first generation uh, woman, of course, they con- uh, the, the, that converted. The child takes on the status of a third generation Mitzri and most importantly that means that that son, that child can marry a Jewish woman uh, uh, from uh, standard Jewish descent so this shows us we see from here that we follow Diday means him, the father so now, in questions of identification, is that really so that we follow the father? Mosif Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef challenges that conclusion. Rabbi Tarfan Oimer. Yechoylim Mamzerim Litoher. Mamzerim, who are perceived generally to be permanently excluded, actually have a way of getting around that. Litoher means to purify themselves. But just, to make, just so you don't make any mistake, we're not talking about the Mamzer himself, but rather his child or his descendants Ketzad how can that be achieved? Mamzer Noso Shivcha if a Mamzer marries a bondmaid now a bondmaid there's a realm in Halacha called Avodim Avodim and Shvachis it's a a realm uh, or status that's not exactly Jewish but it's also not exactly heathen it's a special category unto itself. These are people that are obligated in many mitzvot of the Torah. So we have to appreciate the fact that they are not con- they're not considered uh, purely non-Jews. So that a mamzer, if he marries a shivcha, 
Havlad Eved. The child takes on the status of the mother. The mother is a, a bondmaid that's in the realm of slaves. So the child is a slave. Now a slave has a way to be able to marry a rank and file person of Jewish descent. Shichro, if he is freed. Nimsa ben Chorin. Once that slave is freed, he's a ben Chorin, he's a full-fledged Jew. Now, who was the father of this individual? A mamzer. Did his identity determine what the child is? No, it's the mother's identity that determined what the child is. So, Alma Basr Dida Shadina Laysa. We see in terms of child identification, we follow the mother, contrary to what Rabbi Barbachana had said. The Gemara answers, says that if you're citing the case of Shvachas and Avodim, you should realize that is governed by scriptural references. And hence, you cannot use that as a question as an, on, the, on our situation of the Mitzri. Shiny Hassan, the case of Shivcha is different. The Omar Kro, the Posik legislates, which basically means that the children of the woman of the Shivcha, they the children go with the mother. And their own they go to the owner. In other words, the child of a Shivcha is like her. That's the point that we need to take from here. Mosiv Rava. But we nevertheless raise another question on Rabba Babachana. Omar Rabbi Yehuda. The Tana Rabbi Yehuda tells us a story that Minyomin Ger Mitzri Hoyali Chaver Mitamide Rabbi Kiva. This, by the way, is a story that we saw on back on Daf Ayin Vav not too long ago. Uh, Rebuta tells us that he had a friend and his name was Minyomin. He was a convert from the Egyptian people. Uh, and he was also a student of Rabbi Akiva, the Omar, and Minyomin said, Ani Mitzri Rishon, the Nasosi Mitzris Rishona, I and my wife are both first generation Mitzri converts, Asi Livni Mitzris Shnia, Kidei Shihe Ben Bini Roy Lovabokal. I'm going to therefore marry, have my son marry a Mitzris Shnia, a second generation Mitzris and by, by my son marrying a second generation Mitzris so my grandson can marry a person of pure Jewish descent that, that means Roy Lavobokal means is now fit to enter the Jewish community if it were so like Rabbi Yochanan had claimed as Rabbi Babachana quoted him then the son of Minyomin could have even married Afilu Rishona Nami. He could have married a first generation Egyptian convert. And if the identity is determined by the father, so in that case, Minyomin's son, who eventually fathers a child, Minyomin's son was a Mitzri Shani. His son would be a Mitzri Shlishi automatically if we would follow the father. But yet we see that. That is not what Minyamin said. He was very concerned that his son marries specifically a Mitzris Shnia. What does that show us? It shows us that we don't follow the father in determining the identity. And here we're within the realm, by the way, of Mitzrim. Well, having heard that objection, so Rabbi Babachana answers, Omar Le Rabbi Yochan Latana. Well, you should know that Rabbi Yochanan pointed out to the Tana that you just quoted, to the source that you just quoted, he said it has to be fixed. Tani 
Rishayna that Binyamin was saying I will have my son marry even a Mitzvah Rishayna the grandchild will nevertheless be considered a Shlishi because we do follow the father Ki also Rav Dimiyam Rav Yochanan Mitzrisheni Shenosa Mitzris Rishayna Notice the uh, the same. This is the same case as was addressed in Roman numeral number one. A Mitzri Shani marries a Mitzris Rishayna. Beno Shani Havoi. Even though the father is a Shani, the child of this union, nevertheless, is itself only a Shani. Alma Boser Imei Shadina Le. We follow the mother. Notice we now have a question. This is a long question. Omar le Abaye. Abaye says to Ravdimi, Elahad Yomar Rabbi Yochanan. What about that which Rabbi Yochanan teaches? And now we're going to, we're to a very different realm. We're going to the realm of sacrifices. More specifically, a sin offering. The Gemara here is assuming that we know a number of different halachas concerning sin offerings. So let us uh, point out uh, a couple of, of uh, points of information. First of all, a person that is obligated to bring a sin offering, if let us say he loses that animal and he has to bring a replacement animal as a sacrifice. And then eventually, after having offered the replacement animal, he finds the original animal. Uh, there is an oral tradition that dictates that the Chatos Shekipu Balea, a Chatos whose owner already received atonement through some other Chatos offering, that found animal is set off to die. It can't be used for anything, certainly not a sacrifice, not for your, it was sanctified, so you can't use it for your own personal benefit. It is set off to die. There's another example of a Chatos Shemesa. The chatos that is determined that is set off to die. That would be a case of a chatos. A chatos, by the way, in, on a, when you're dealing with uh, individuals that are sinners and need to bring this kind of offering, it's a female animal. A chatos animal that had a child. It's called a vlad chatos. The vlad chatos also is an animal that, by oral tradition, is set off to die. Exactly how the animal is killed, that's a a separate topic, we're not going to get involved with that, but we made the point just before that it means you cannot benefit from it and it is also not used as a sacrifice. So we just mentioned two examples of chatos mesos to serve as background information. According to Ravdimi, Rabbi Yochanan is of the opinion that in terms of determining identity of children, you will want to emphasize the mother. Now let's see how that stands up in the, uh, in the following uh, case. Abaye asks, A person set aside, sanctified an animal that happened to be pregnant and he declared this pregnant chatos as um, a, this pregnant animal as a sin offering. Violda. And the animal before being offered gave birth. The owner has a choice. He can use the mother for his atonement or use the offspring. If you say that a that the offspring is not 
an extension of the mother, literally not the leg of the mother, but it's a separate entity. Havilei, then the case of Hifrish Chatas Muberes is Kemafrish Techatos Lachrayas. It's you can parallel it to the case of a man who is guilty of bringing uh, two. He's guilty of bringing a sin offering, and he's a little nervous that what would happen to the if he sets aside only one animal, what would happen if it gets lost or stolen? So what does he do? He sets aside two animals. One serves as a backup for the other, and he says that if one gets lost, so I'll have the other one. That's mafishte chatois lachrayas. means as a guarantee, as insurance. The Yomer of Oshaya hifishte chatois lachrayas miskaper b'achas man v'shniot tiret. And Rav Oshaya tells us a rule that when one does such a thing, he sets aside two animals as a sin offering that he intends to use only one, and the other one is there only as backup. So what happens is he slaughters one, in other words, sacrifices one, and the other one, Tireh, is set out to graze, meaning you eventually can benefit from it. You can benefit from the other one. So, uh, if you just review the parallel that was just made, what was Rabbi Yochanan's din regarding the sin offering that you set aside that was pregnant? The, he said you can use either the mother or the offspring, and the other one uh, will go out and graze. In order to say that, you have to establish that an offspring is not considered an extension of the mother, but rather it's like someone set aside two born animals, one serving as insurance in the case that the other gets lost. Continuing in the Gemara, Eloi Amris Ubor Yerech Imohu. However, if you say that the offspring is considered an extension of the mother, and what did you do? You set aside an animal as a chatos offering that, and it was pregnant. Vlad Then the offspring is the the uh, fetus is considered the child of a chatos the offspring being an extension of the mother, so the child then is a Vlad of a Chatos. It's not a separate entity that serves as a backup for the mother, but rather it's an extension of the mother. It's a Vlad Chatos. And the word the Vlad means the child of a Chatos. Vlad Chatos Lemisos. And we know that the uh, animal born from a Chatos is set aside to die. And meaning you can't benefit from it. And yet, Rabbi Yochanan said above, you have a choice. You use one, and the other one goes free. Ishtik. Upon hearing this objection, Ravdimi remained silent. In other words, Ravdimi claimed that the mother, that the child is an extension of the mother, and hence, in the case of the Mitzrisheni that married the Mitzris, Rishon Mitzris is the mother is a Rishona. The child is considered an extension of her, making the child a Sheni. But here in the case of the, of the sin offering example, we see that in order for Rabbi Yochanan's halacha to be justified, the Hifrish Chatas Muberes Vialda, 
in order to, to, to legitimatize that, you'll have to say that the offspring is not an extension of the mother. Because if you say the offspring is an extension of the mother, the offspring would then be classified as a vlad chatos. And that has to be set aside to die. Rabbi Yochanan did not say that, though. So, Rabbi Dimi remained silent. Omar Le, Abaye, who raised the question, now chimes in and says, Dilma shiny hossam. Maybe the case of the Mitzri is different. Dichtiv asher yivoldu hakosiv toloi beleda. In the pasuk, the varam perichav gimol pasuk test the pasuk we cited above. Birth is emphasized. The Egyptian that births a child, so the third generation is able to marry into Kalashem. So the fact that Leda was emphasized, so only in the case of Mitzri are we going to say that the child is an extension, a continuation of the mother. So that's Abaye's, we'll say, justification for Ravdimi's original teaching. Omar Le, Ravdimi says, Karkafna. Karkafna is an expression uh, indicating a smart man or wise man or important man. He says, You are a buyer or important man. Chazise Lereshach, Baini Amudi. Ki also Rabbi Yochanan, Ki Oma Rabbi Yochanan Lahosh I saw, says Rabdimi, I saw your head. Your head means your rabbi. Namely, I saw Rabba. Uh, uh, bet- um, between the pillars in the study hall when Rabbi Yochanan said this teaching. Uh, so that uh, that which Abaye is saying is something that uh, Rabbi is pointing out you're not saying this on your own you are actually saying over something that you heard from Rabbo, your teacher, who had learned by Rabbi Yochanan, the one I was citing. So that, very good, what you're saying is a, is a good explanation. Namely, by the Mitzri, we have a special consideration, since it says, Asher Yivaldu, the mother becomes the determining factor. But we're not necessarily going to apply that to other cases the Gemara now asks a question. Notice this is a long question. This will take us to the uh, second line from the top. However, uh, we have to note that the latter part of this long question is in brackets. So we continue now in the Gemara. Taimo dexiv ashivodu. So the reason for saying what we did, namely that the mother is the determining factor, is because... In the, in, in the case of the Mitzri because it says but in general you would, you would say that the father determines status or identity well a pregnant Gentile woman while pregnant she immersed for conversion purposes in a mikveh the child, when born, does not need conversion immersion. Part of uh, conversion is the necessity to immerse in a mikveh. 
the child in this case benefits from its mother's immersion so its mother's immersion helps for it for the child well if you're telling me that in general you follow the father amai ein tzorech tevila why do you say that the child does not need its own tevila meaning once again if you say that you don't follow the mother in other areas so then how do we say over here that the mother's tevila the mother's immersion satisfies tevila requirements for the child as well at this point there's a bracketed section where the Gemara attempts to respond but the response is rejected and we let us skip the bracketed section for a moment the Gemara says shiny ubar the case of the ubar is different meaning in general father is a determining factor with regard to the mitzri we said it before Asher Yivaldo that's different with regard to the issue of Tavila, that's also an exception why? Dehainu Ravise this is the way it develops it's considered as if the uh, the mother uh, the mother we, we say that the mother's immersion helps for all of her limbs and the offspring is since this is its normal way of growth and development it's the, the fact that it's inside the mother's body the mother's body is not a chatzitsa it's not an interposition so it's as if the child directly was immersed not that it's a beneficiary of its mother's immersion but it had its own immersion ah you'll say but it was covered over by the mother's uh, uh, body it's inside the mother but since that's the way children that's the way fetuses develop that's revise it's normal way of growth the fact that it's contained within something else is not viewed as an interposition as a chatzitza so now uh, that having been said we can go back to what uh, Abaye said and Rav Dimi substantiated that that in general we do in fact we, we don't well, so we should say we don't say that you follow the mother and that was uh, illustrated by Rav Yochanan Salach with the Hifish Chatas Muberes that the child is an independent entity as far as Mitri is concerned, we saw the Xeris of Kosovashi Valdu, and as far as this halacha of the immersion, it's not considered as if the child is immersing, is benefiting from the mother's immersion in the mikvah, but rather it's as if the child was directly immersed. Now we mentioned the bracketed section that we now have to go over. We said just before the brackets, as part of our challenge to. Uh, to Abaye's uh, uh, answer that you see that the uh, Gentile woman who converts while pregnant the child doesn't need its own tvila. so that would seem to say uh, the child doesn't need its own tvila. that would seem to say that we do follow the mother the chitema mishum so we're reading in the bracket second line from the bottom of Amad Aleph you might say well this is based on Rabbi Yomar Rebbe Yitzchak Devar Torah on a Torah level when you're dealing with the rules of immersion in a mikveh and the rules 
dealing with chatzitza, with interposition. Uh, when one immerses, it's expected that one's body comes into direct contact with the mikvah water and that there's nothing blocking the flesh from the water. So on a Torah level, rubo umakbidolov chotzeitz, rubo she'eno umakbidolov eno chotzeitz. That a chatzitza is only a chatzitza if it covers the majority of the person who is immersing and he is upset. He is a dis, he's, a, a, does not approve. He's makbid. Makbid of it. If you can imagine a person who is uh, generally speaking uh, showered and well groomed and his body is covered in, in, in black grease. So that's a case of if, if most of his body is covered in black grease and he is also makbid. He doesn't like that situation. If he tries to immerse in, in that state, it won't be effective. That would be called a chatzitza midorais on a Torah level. However, imagine someone who might be covered, most of, most of his body is covered in grease, but it doesn't bother him. Imagine an, an auto mechanic possibly, someone who spends many hours of the day underneath cars repairing them so naturally he's covered with grime and not only that it might even be something that he he likes it shows how, how diligent an auto mechanic he is so that might that's a case of rubo she'eno makbidolov so that being that he doesn't he's not mindful of it it's considered like part of him so it's not a chatzitza so you might say that that is the explanation of how the Ubar is, beneficia- is benefits from the immersion of the mother. If you look in the Rashi at the bottom line, uh, uh, at the second to last line, the Rashi says, Here, uh, the the, the child is not bothered by the fact that it's covered by its mother it needs to be covered that's because that's how it grows that's how it develops even though we know that rabbinically speaking even though he's not makbid the rabbi said it's ineffective here we're talking on a Torah level we're talking about from a Torah standpoint does the child need immersion or not so we're saying from the Torah standpoint it doesn't need immersion you might want to sow so so what what is the what is enabling this child to uh, be free of the immersion requirement so we're trying to say in establishing our question we're trying to say it's a sign that the child does follow the mother if you want to tr- argue no uh, the, the child doesn't really follow the mother but the child is a beneficiary of the immersion because it's a case of rubo shein magbedolov but that's not really a ca- it's not a case of rubo shein magbedolov <laughs> the child is completely separated not just the majority of him the whole Omar of kind of we're at the top of Omid Beis the Omar of Kahano lo shonuelo rubo the allowance that we just mentioned is only if the majority is covered but if the individual is completely uh, enveloped in something else and completely surrounded by something else complete non-contact with the mikvah so it, it is a chatzitza so if it's a chatzitza is it not so that this vlad is completely enveloped by the mother and if it's completely enveloped by the mother how is it that the child does not need tevila? It must be because 
the child is considered a part of the mother, an extension of the mother. And if that be the case, then we are we're still in our question mode. How can it be said that in general we would follow the father? In general meaning outside the realm of Mitzri. Here you have something outside the realm of Mitzri and we are once again following the mother. The Gemara answers, Shiny Ubar. The case of the Ubar is different. Dahainu Ravisei. Since the Ubar needs to be completely enveloped in the mother, that's the way it grows. So that the mother's immersion is, uh, the fact that it's enveloped in the mother, the mother is not a chatzitza. And again, to repeat the main point, it's, it is rather as if the Ubar is directly immersed and not to be explained as the immersion of the mother benefits the Ubar. But again, rather, the Ubar itself is immersing. So that we don't have an illustration from this din of the Nochris Shetovla, we don't have that as a challenge to the concept that in general, the father is the determining factor. Before we continue, we glance at the side, we have a Nosei topic heading, which reads, Bezayin Umos, the, with regard to the seven nations. These are the seven nations that occupied the land of Israel, the land of Eretz Canaan, before the Jews entered. Regarding those people, the Jews were instructed to kill, to eliminate all of the members of the seven nations that occupied the land of Israel. That's in terms, that's a general word of background. Rashi also says this at the top line, at the end of the line, Bumos, Besheva Umos. Regarding the seven nations, the Indian Lo Sechayakol Neshama, the Pesach says, you shall not leave any one living. Haloch Achar Hazachorim. You determine the identity based on the males. will be explained. So now we, uh, having said that, in our uh, introduction, on the side under the no say we have written the Zayin Umos the Inyan Lo Sechaya Kol Neshama Ech Koyvim Aichus when there's a matter of let's say a mixed couple mixed couple one is a member of the seven nations and the other is an outsider from Thailand or from China or from Australia or North America is not from the seven nations so wh- how do you determine the identity of the child? And we'll also uh, deal with the situation of Nisgairu, where there is conversion that takes place. Conversion to Judaism. So now the Gemara. Ki also Ravina, Om Rav Yochanan. We're on the third line from the top. Ba'umois haloch achar hazochar. Nisgairu haloch achar pogum shebishneim. So Rabbi Yochanan mentioned two halachas, and the Gemara will review these two halachas, and that you can see with our uh, Mivneh heading. This is uh, simply a we have Hadgosha, uh, Hadgoshas, uh, the two halachas, Shnei halachas to Rabbi Yochanan. So here, as we say, the Gemara is now going to review these two halachas, uh, giving sources. Be'umos haloch achar azochar. You say, amongst the nations, when you want to determine the identity of the child, you look at the father. 
Kiddesanya, as is explained in the following Tanaic source. Minayin le'echod mina umois shebo al haknainis v'hoylid ben. When echod mina umois means someone who comes from one of the other nations, a a Chinese man, let us say, has relations with a Canaanite woman. The Canaanite, what the reference to Canaanite woman is a reference to those one of those seven nations that occupied the land of Israel that we, the Jewish people, were ordered to uh, to kill. Uh, upon entering the land and conquering the land, so you have a Chinese man marries a a Canaanite woman and they have a child, the Holy Ben. From where do we know You can purchase that child as a slave. In other words, he does not he doesn't fall under the 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 uh, ruling or the teaching the commandment of of leave no one alive. And by saying this, of course, we're showing you that matters are determined, identity is determined by the man. So that the, here we have a man who's a Chinese individual. So from where do we know that? Shinemar, the Pasuk says, Vigam Hagorim Imochem Mehem Tiknu. And, and, and also from amongst those residents that are living amongst you, you can buy them as slaves. Now, the Pesach itself, I would not say, is so clear. You know, how do you see that illustrated here? So we take a look at the Rashi. The Pesach, by saying Toshavim, is alluding to a man that came from another land, from outside the seven nations, and moved into Eretz Canaan. And the Pesach says you can buy them. <coughs> you can buy the Bnei HaToshavim, their children. Let's continue in the Gemara. Yochol afilu echod min haknainim shibal achas min haumo yisvelid ben shatoroshe liknos avevet. Could it be that a Canaanite man that has relations with a woman from one of the other nations, from, from China again, and they have a child, could you buy him as a slave? Is he uh, is he considered Chinese? No. Tamadomar Asher Hoilidu Ba'artsachem. The Pasuk that gave license to buying someone as a slave, it also said it said Asher Holidu Ba'artsachem. Minhaudobartsachem Velo Minagorabartsachem. You're allowed to buy those that were were born in your land, but not those that dwell in your land. Now that itself once again is vague. There is, however, a limitation point in this Pesach. In other words, the Pesach is telling us when you can buy, and, and we infer there are circumstances that you cannot buy. So there's a limitation element in this Pesach. How does this show that Ba'umos halocha acharazochar So let's continue with the Rashi. Min We had mentioned before Asher Holidu Baratzchem was in the Pasuk. What is that? How do you see that? That what we're describing here is the is is the case of the father from China and mother from Canaan. Rashi says the woman is Canaanite from your land, the Aldosoi Shom, and she bore him there, the child. 
There was a mute in the Pasuk. We said, There's someone excluded that you cannot buy. Those are the Gorim Barzachem. What does that mean? He was born somewhere else. The mother is from some other land. She's the one that's giving birth. So we say, when the mother is birthing in your land, that means she's a Canaanite woman. If we're talking about Gorim Ba'atzachem, you're talking about a lady that comes from another land that moved into the land of Canaan. And, and what happened? How is it that she moved into the land of Canaan? Because her husband was a Canaanite. And as Rashi says, And then she, the, the lady from China, who was impregnated by a Canaanite man, she then moved into Canaan. It's customary for women to remain in their locations, and the man goes, uh, goes uh, into exile, so to speak, leaves his location. Hilkoch, anolode baaretz, when you, when the Pesach describes a child born in your land, vaday imo mishiva umos. It's clear that the mother is in her own land, and that's where she gave birth. Aval hanolodim b'mokoy macher, when you describe a, a woman that gave birth somewhere else, vaday imo mishar umos. The mother is definitely from another land. So when the Pesach mentions Asher Holidu Ba'arzachem, that's a Canaanite woman that gave birth, uh, though her husband was from another land. That type of offspring you can buy. You don't have to kill. However, Gorim Ba'arzachem describes a situation where the mother had been from some other place and Gorim and they came and moved into the land of Canaan. So the woman comes from another land. The father is in fact Canaanite. It's most likely that when we are excluding from permission to buy, that's the case where the father is Canaanite. So what if we what if we established here that when it comes to umos, in terms of identifying the the child, establishing his status, we look at who was the father. If the father was a Canaanite man, so we we see that in a case where there is a child born from the Canaanite man uh, uniting with a Chinese woman, that. Is, is that child has the status of a Canaanite because the father was Canaanite. If the father was Chinese and the mother was Canaanite, the child's de- uh, identity is Chinese because the father was Chinese. Continuing in the Gemara, Nizgairu halochachar pogum If they convert, then you will establish the child's offspring by he was the lesser amongst the two parents. Bemai. Well, what are what are we talking about? What's the case? Rabbi Yochanan said, pogum means the deficient one, the more deficient one from amongst the two. So what are, what is he talking about? Bemai. My pogum is ba. The word b'shebishneim means they're both problematic, and one is more problematic than the other. But in a case of a mitzri that married on Amoinus, and we're talking about both converted, how, where is there a problem in the two of them? 
uh, Amoni Velo Amonis the, the Amonis is, is not problematic the Torah excludes only the male Ammonites not the female Ammonites as we saw extensively in our previous year Elo so what's the case Ba'amoni Shenoso Mitzris an Ammonite man married a Mitzris woman E now both of them have problems the Ammonite man is permanently prohibited from marrying into the Jewish people and the Mitzri has a problem in that only their third generation can marry into the Jewish people now we're, we're gonna, we want to focus on the child of this couple the child is either male or female if the child is a male we will then define the male child as an Ammonite and what does that mean? he cannot marry into the Jewish fold because if you were to look at the child if, if no let's continue in the Gemara if the offspring is a female we will consider the, the daughter of, a, of, of such a union as a mitzris that would mean she has a second generation mitzris and not consider her an Ammonite female because as an Ammonite female she would have been allowed to marry immediately into the Jewish people and hence by saying Pogum Shebishtam you follow the the more problematic of the two in the parents in the case of a female birth from this this particular union the Pogum the more problematic labeling would be labeling her the child if it's a daughter like the mother the mistress the Mishnah. Before we continue, we have a topic heading Mamzeris Achar Esserdoros. We'll talk about Mamzerim after ten generations. The Torah itself mentions that a Mamzer cannot enter the Jewish fold um, for ten generations. The Mishnah. Mamzerim Unesinim Asurim Mamzerim, and those are illegitimate children, children born from a union of uh, man and woman where the punishment is uh, kores Nesinim are uh, descendants from the Givonim. Givonim were one of the seven nations that through trickery converted to Judaism in the time of Yoshua and Yoshua established them as being uh, woodcutters woodchoppers and water bearers, water drawers there's more on that topic later in the Gemara, but it just gives you a flavor, as Rashi says here. The Mishnah then says that the Mamzer and Asinim are forbidden. They cannot marry into the rank-and-file Jewish people, and their prohibition is permanent. Echad Zucharam Vechad Nekevis, making no distinction between male and female. Omar Reish Lokish. Mamzeris the Achar Asara Doros Muteres. If one can keep track that many generations, so a, a mamzeris, ten generations later, she can marry. If, if her great great grandfather, etc., going back ten generations, was a mamzer, she can marry into the Jewish people. And how does Rish Lakish know this? Yolif Asiri Asiri, me Amoni Umoyovi. You find the term Asiri in the case of Amon Umov, and you find it in the case of Mamzerim, Ma'alahalon Nekevus Mutaros, just like in the case of the Amon and Moab people, the females are allowed. Af Khan Nekevus Mutaros. So too, 
the female mamzeris after ten generations will be muteris, will be allowed the Gemara asks well is this parallel really tight by the Amoni Miyad the female Amonis is muteris immediately upon her conversion Afkan Miyad are you going to say the same thing by a female Mamzeris uh, she's muteris immediately the Gemara answers no that we're not going to say Ki Ahani Shava. the word comparison that we mentioned before is Me'asiri V'elich it's, it's beneficial it's effective only from the tenth generation on uh, the Rashi elaborates on this we're reading the Rashi you can see in the narrow lines halfway down the page he says until the 10th generation when you're dealing with Mamzerim the Torah explicitly says 10th, 10 generations and by the way we have the Pasuk included on the side of the Gemara Dvarim Perechokimu Pasuk Gimel where it says lo yovo mamzer b'kal Hashem gam dor asiri lo yovo lo b'kal Hashem. So in the case of mamzer, the the idea of a tenth generation is said explicitly. So leko lemigmar mi amoni dinekevus mutoros. We can't learn within ten generations. We can't learn from amoni to allow the female mamzeres. mamzer. The word mamzer is a compound expression mum zar. <coughs> a blemish that is strange by saying that Mamzer even though the Torah speaks in the masculine form Mamzer but since the, the, the root of the word is Mumzar it indicates something strange something wrong and that was in fact the union of the two of the couple the man and woman that are punishable by Kores so that word Mamzer includes a Nekevis Aval measir v'elech the yisur b'gzera shava the amoni moavi yolif, but uh, beyond the tenth generation, from the tenth generation on, where the where the isur is learned from amoni and moavi. Now the daha lav b'mamzer ksiva the. Uh, there's a lot the Torah writes as far as females are concerned beyond the 10th generation you don't see a restriction uh, regarding the females oh let us uh, correct ourselves uh, let's go back to the Rashi just a couple lines before just for more accurate reading the idea of something being prohibited in the case of a mamzer beyond the 10th generation it doesn't say that explicitly by the mamzer that is determined only through from Amoni and Moavi since I'm already learning the uh, issues of prohibition beyond the 10th generation from an outside source I learn also from the outside source regarding females the Omar don mino umino come on as Rashi will explain later when you deal with Xeroshova how uh, technically speaking do you make Xeroshova when you have 
one topic where there's known information and another topic which is, needs to be discovered, how much information do I derive from the known topic in order to determine the unknown topic? In this case, the known topic is Ammonia Mo'avi, when you're dealing with the time frame beyond 10 generations, the unknown topic is Mamzer beyond 10 generations. By the way, in the case of the up till the 10th generation, so the Pusik said by the Mamzer, Dor Asiri Lo How about beyond the 10th generation? Well, there's no indication, but when you look in Ammonia Mo'avi, there the Torah, in addition to writing Dor Asiri, it also mentions Ad Olam permanent a permanent prohibition meaning even beyond the 10th generation so you'll ask why does the Torah mention Dora Siri by Ammon and Moab the answer to that is in order to make the Gzera Shava to, in order to link it up to the case of the Mamzer through that Gzera Shava we then know that with regard to Mamzerus there are problems beyond the 10th generation the question is how far does that go? How far? How inclusive are the problems? Are they male and female, or just male? So now we go back to the Gemara. We ask, But we have a Tanaic source. It says, "Mamzerim unesinim asurin." These people are usur. The Mamzerim and the Nesim are usur v'isurin isur oilam. And we dashed underline oilam. That means their pro- their prohibition is permanent. Echad zecharim the echad nekevis. And notice we dashed underline nekevis as well. Echad nekevis. So what is this saying? This is a Tanaic source. It is uh, our Mishnah that says that nekevis uh, mamzerim nekevis are also permanently. So how can Reish Lakish, who is an Amora, come off saying that a mamzeris? Is, is muteris after the 10th generation. The Mishnah says mamzerim are permanently prohibited. Loi kashya. There is no contradiction. There's no. It's not as if the Mishnah uh, refutes Reish Lakish, but rather Reish Lakish and the Mishnah represent two different schools of how you construct and how you, let's say, how much information you learn through the Gzeira Shava. The approach, and we saw this before in the Rashi, the approach taken by Reish Lakish says that you learn both points of information from the known, from the original source. In other words, the case of Ammon and Moab, what do we know about Ammon and Moab? We know that they, there's an issue of permanent prohibition. That's one point of information. And that we need to learn over to Mamzer, that by Mamzerus there is also an element of permanent prohibition. Now the issue is, what about a distinction between genders? So in Amunimov there is a distinction. So according to Reish Lokish, I carry that information as well over to Mamzerus. So there are two points. That's Don Mino. Don means to learn. Mina from the other source, in this case, Ammonium Ovi, that's the outside source. I learn from that concept of permanence. Umina, and another point I learn distinction between genders. However, our Mishnah, Halkaman Omar, our Mishnah reflects the other approach to Xerashava makings, which means Don Mino, the Uki, the Asra. That means some information I will learn from the outside source. Once again, I'm learning Mamzerus from 
Amunamov. Now, what's the sum information? The concept of permanent problem beyond 10th generation, that I will learn from Amon over to Mamzerus. However, the issue of gender distinction, no. The Uki Ba'asro means regarding that topic, you stay in your location. Asro means the, 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 the topic of Mamzerus for, regarding the additional information from Amon Amov, gender distinction, that, no, I'm not going to learn that and I rather I, re, I, re, I stay in the realm of Mamzerus and in the realm of Mamzerus as we saw before Mumzar no gender distinction is made if we skip down into the Rashi you can see I'm going to read the Rashi together uh, with you on the third wide line under the Gemara text there's a, there's a, a diamond actually the second diamond and Rashi there says, Don't mino means some. I will learn from Amon to Mamzeris Mal Alon Ad Oilom. Just like by Amon there's a an issue of permanent prohibition. Af Mamzer Ad Olam. So too by Mamzerus permanent prohibition. Even though the Pesach by Mamzerus said only tenth generation, but the Gzeris Shava series series tells me even beyond that. The Uki Beasro. As we, we uh, established the issue of gender, like we were originally speaking. The, the ten generations that were mentioned by the Pesach in Mamzerus itself, there we made no distinction. Which equals Mumzar. So to hear after the tenth generation, also, Adolam de Maisinim, Gzereshava, the Adolam concept that we brought into Mamzeris through the Gzereshava from Amunamov, Echot Zacharim vi Echot Nekevos, not only males but females as well. And that is the basis for our Mishnah. Let us now turn back to the Gemara text. Shalu es Rebuliezer, Mamzeris the Achara Soro Dori Mahu, the female. Mamzeris means uh, after ten generations. What is her din? Omar Lahem, Rabbi Eliezer, uh, in in characteristic style, doesn't answer the question directly. I say characteristic style. We find elsewhere in Shas, particularly Maseches Sukkah, you find how Rabbi Eliezer, if he is responding to a question that he does, doesn't have an actual. Uh, tradition, uh, an actual teaching from his predecessor, so he oftentimes he will he gives answers in a somewhat uh, an indirect fashion. So Omar Laham Rebbe Lezer says, li dor shlishi If if someone will only even give me a third generation, and I would purify him. In other words, Rabbi Lezer is saying, how can you talk about the tenth generation of Mamzerus when you don't even have a third generation of Mamzerus? As Rashi says, what Rabbi Lezer is saying, you're, you're asking a question about something that can't come to be. Alma Kosovar, the Gemara goes on to say, you see the prince that Rabbi Lezer holds, Mamzerah lo chayi, that Mamzerim do not live. No, there's not going to even live to have children. Mamzerim, illegitimate children, illegitimate people do not live. 
I've one on Tanan, but our Mishnah says Mamzerim Masurim Yisur and Yisur Olam. The Mamzerim themselves are also they can't marry into the Jewish fold, and their prohibition is permanent. So you see that they do live, and their their children are 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 prohibited. So if a Mamzer has a child, regardless of how he has a child, as a marries a another Mamzeres or he marries a Jewish woman, the child is labeled a Mamzer. That child is also, and the grandchild is forever. Omar Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Yudah explained to me, it was, unto me it was explained by Rabbi Yudah the following. There are three categories. And after discovering these three categories, we'll then understand that there is no problem or no contradiction. Do Mamzerim live or not? The Yediya Chayi. Well known Mamzerim. People who are publicly known as Mamzerim. So the general public will stay away from them, won't marry them. So there's no problem in their continuing to live. The lo yadia lo A child is born. Uh, we and we don't live. A, 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 a woman, a Jewish woman, has a child. We don't know who impregnated her. In fact, someone that was forbidden to her impregnated her. But people don't know that. So you can have. Unfortunately, you can have many situations. Uh, imagine a married woman uh, fools around with, with some other man other than her husband. That child is a mamzer. That's relations with an ish. <clears throat> so the woman bears a child. People don't know that story. She knows it, but no one else knows it. That kind of child, through, uh, we'll see, heavenly decree, that kind of child will not live. Very simply, because... People do not know to avoid. They think that he's a kosher Jew. They don't know that he is a mamzer. So, because of the uh, the, 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 the distinct possibility of someone uh, marrying him, someone that shouldn't marry him uh, does. Ordin, uh, heavenly uh, uh, heaven ordains that he shall not live. The idea Yadia, someone who is. Uh, say questionable some people know, some people don't it's not clear so we say as follows regarding that situation of Yediyah Velo Yediyah three generations of that kind of person will live for three generations people will know that this is a grandchild of someone who was was possibly a mom so people know to stay away However, Tfei Lochai, a fourth, a fourth generation won't come to be. That more than that, they will not live. There was a person in the neighborhood of Rabbi Ami. And Rabbi Ami announced, this guy is a Mamzer. Well, apparently he wasn't known as a Mamzer before that. The person walked around and was crying, very upset. Rabbi Ami said, Chayim no satiloch. I have be, be, be bestowed upon you life. Now that you're a well-known mamzer, so we, you fall into category number one. The Otherwise, people didn't know, and you, you might end up dying. Uh, so as so as to avoid anyone marrying you. At this point, we have a no seiklo, the general topic heading, and this is a long topic. It lasts till ayin tesomit beis, and it concerns the nesinim, the people that were mentioned in the Mishnah, the uh, people whose origin was in the seven nations, and they, uh, through uh, 
through an act of connivory. Uh, they they uh, presented themselves as outsiders, as not from the seven nations, and converted. Uh, so here we'll discuss them for quite a while. Omar Rav Chono Bar Ada. Nesinim David Gazar Aleim. And here's a very long point. Uh, you'll notice that this takes us down quite a few lines down. Ayin Tesom and Aleph. The Nesinim were the uh, the subject of David, King David's ruling that we are not to marry the Nesinim. Shenemar, the Pesach says, Vayikra Melech LaGivoinim, Vayomer Aleim. Um, now, Givoinim is a, a name of, of a people that we in the Mishnah call Nesinim. Vayomer Aleim, and he, he said about it, he said to them, Vagivonim lo Israel Hema. The Givonim are not from the Jewish people. My time of Gozar Alayu. What is the reason that David Hamelech issued a ruling against them? Tiftif. The Pesach says, Vayirov b'meh David shalosh shanim, shana achar shana. For three consecutive years, there was a famine in the days of King David. There's a double underline that highlights years one, two, and three. And the Gemara will now discuss the problem that David Amalek confronted in trying to understand why, why did a famine befall the people. Shana rishana Omar, lohem, first generation, he said to them, Shema oivdei kechovim, Maybe amongst you there are idol worshippers. We say this every day in the Kriyashma, in the second paragraph of the Kriyashma, that when one engages in idolatry, the heavens are sealed up, there is no rain, and that leads to famine. The nation checked and found there were no idol worshippers amongst them. Shnia, second year of the famine. Maybe there are people that are immoral amongst you. The revivim or the rainfall will be withheld, and Malkosh, also another name for rain, will not happen. And you see in the Pesach the, uh, the brazenness of, a, of a, a harlot is your character. So that zona, znus, this has to do with immorality, and that's associated with the withholding of rain. Bodku, Velomatsu, they checked out and found that that also was not a problem. Shlishis, third year of famine. Maybe there are amongst you people who pledge charity, the Ain knows them, after making pledges and don't even don't come through. Dirtiv, the Siem. The Pesach describes clouds and wind, but no rain. And that's a function of someone who, who boasts about his phony gift, his phony philanthropy. They checked down and found that that wasn't a problem either. Omar, so David says, The matter is dependent exclusively upon me. And now the Pesach says, The Pesach says, David is Pene Hashem. And David sought out the uh, sought out guidance from the Almighty. My he, what what does that mean? He he he. he what do you mean? He, he turned to the Almighty. What does that mean? It means that he consulted the high priest's breastplate that. Uh, uh, 
had letters written on it and the letters uh, would reveal miraculously answers to one's question my mashma how do you see in this posuk the Kohen Gadol's breastplate the Urim Vatuman, the stones on his breastplate Amr Belozer says we can see that through a word comparison Asya Pene Pene through the word Pene elsewhere and here that's what it says over here so you see word Lifne has as its root Pene and in that posuk the Urim are the the stones on the king on the Kohen Godel's breastplate the Posuk says, Vayomer Hashem, El Shaul, the El Beis Hadomim, Alasher Hemis Es Hagivoinim. The reason for the uh, for the famine is because of King Saul and because of the Givoinim that he killed. Now, what does that mean? El Shaul Shalonispad Kalacha. First of all, when King Saul died, he wasn't eulogized properly. And I'm, 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 I'm angry about that, and therefore that's one contributing factor. And the second problem is that King Saul killed the Givonim people. Where do we see that that Shaul uh, wrought uh, uh, destruction upon the Givonim people? We don't see that Shaul waged war against the Givonim. Elo mitoch shahorag no virakayhanim. Shaul, without getting into the entire uh, biblical uh, recount of what took place, but there was a city of priests, the city was called Nov, and Shaul was responsible for their elimination. That city was wiped out, and that city had provided. Uh, livelihood for the Givonim people. Shahoyu The Givoni people were provided with water and food because of the service that they provided for the priestly city. And since there the Givonim's source of income was was uh, prevented, was stopped because their employers, so to speak, the, the Kohanim of Nov were wiped out. Mal of Akosuf Kilu Hargon is considered as if he, Saul, King Shaul, killed them, the Givonim. By cutting off someone's livelihood, it's like killing them. The Gemara asks, this is somewhat odd here. On the one hand, Kodesh Baruch was upset with Shaul's not being eulogized properly, indicating he was a, worthy of a proper eulogy. On the other hand, you're saying that he's considered as if he's a murderer. How is it such that he that both things are being tova means sought out by God? God is claiming, God is punishing for these two seemingly opposite considerations. Where says in this is true, this is the way of Hashem. The Hashem kol Rashi explains. The bottom line, Bashir Mishpato, Bimokum Shedonim Adam, Shamas Kirim Poel Sikosov, where a person is being judged, all of his all of his actions and all of his righteousness is is recounted. And that's everything is brought into account. The positive and the negative. Omar David. David, upon hearing this, says, Shaul, as far as 
making amends for Shaul's lack of eulogy. Nafku luhu tresar yarchi shasa below darke lemispade. Twelve months have passed since his death. It's actually thirty years, but even twelve months beyond that, it's not the way to eulogize. So that's that's a, a lost cause. There's nothing that I can do about that. Nisinim, however, regarding the Nisinim, the the the, the, the Nisinim that were there at the time of David, Nikrinu Vinifaisinu. Let me call them, let me summon them, and let me try to appease them. Miyad Amimi Vayikra Melchle Givoinim Vayomer Alehem what can I do for you and, and, and achieve atonement and blessing for the inheritance of God we have no money claims no silver nor gold with Shoal nor his descendants and all we have is Yutanonu Shiva Lashem Give us seven descendants of Shoal and let us kill them, let us execute them and hang them up, and that will be our that will be the solution to our grudge. Well, David heard that and now he has to execute the seven descendants of Shoal is very upset with that. Mephias, he tried to appease them, the low Piscinu, and they re, they resisted appeasement. We're in the middle of a sukya, um, but upon main point is uh, David. Upon hearing their 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 obstinance and uh, and rejection of appeasement, Omar David said, There are three signs that characterize the Jewish people. They are harachmonim vabayshonim v'goyim lechasodim. They are merciful. They are um, uh, meek. Baishonim uh, uh, is a reference to someone who is uh, uh, embarrassed or meek-natured, and gomli chazodim, and and are, are are practitioners of good deeds. And let us skip this bracketed section momentarily. Kol halolo. Anyone who has all three of these signs, roy lidobek beumazu. Any outsider, a person who wants to convert, that has these characteristics is fit to cling unto this people, unto the Jewish people. However, the Givoinim that are not Rachmanim, they are not merciful, they are not fit to cling unto the Jewish people, and this is the main point, and it's with this that David issued his Gezerah against the Givoinim. In the brackets, we go over sources for each one of these characteristic traits. Rachmonim, Jewish people are called merciful. That's the God bestowed mercifulness upon us. And Baishonim, the God fearingness. Uh, meekness is upon us, the Jewish people. The posuk that deals with Avram Avinu, and it describes his descendants as being practitioners of chesed, of loving kindness. And as we said, anyone who has these three characteristics, Roy they uh, are deserving of clinging to Am Yisrael, to joining the ranks of Jewish people or people that demonstrate their their uh, uh, lack of 
of uh, their, their cruelness, we'll say, they do not deserve to join the Jewish people. And hence, David made a gzera against the Nisinim, the Givoinim. The Gemara will continue uh, extensively on this topic in the next two pieces. We'll discuss, discuss the, what actually happened afterwards. But uh, we'll conclude at this point.